Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you all for joining us in our service, and we pray that as we gather here, we will listen to God humbly and thankfully in our hearts. For those who are perhaps joining us for the first time, or joining us and on your spiritual journey to finding out, is there a God? Who is this God? Is, is the Christian God the true God? We pray that by the grace of God, He will speak to you and draw you into a true knowledge of Him, a true relationship with Him. In the 1960s, China had the largest population in the world. And not just the largest population, but the fastest growing population. So in their poverty, in their desperateness, what did they do? They decided on a one-child policy. And the one-child policy was to curtail that growth so that the poverty would not escalate. And how, did the one child, how was the one-child policy implemented? through a combination of fines. If you have a second child, you'll be fined a third child, through a combination of fines of contraception and sterilization. It led to the abandonment of, they estimate, 2 million Chinese children, most of whom were girls, were daughters. Many of these children ended up in orphanages, abandoned in the streets and then in orphanages approximately 120 to 150,000 of them were adopted by parents overseas, mainly Americans. And so I encourage you to watch this documentary called Found. It centers around three blood-related cousins born in China but adopted by American families. There is Chloe, a 13-year-old girl adopted by a Jewish family in Seattle, there is Sadie, a 14-year-old girl adopted by an evangelical family with divorced parents in Nashville. And there is Lily Bolka, a 17-year-old girl adopted by a large Catholic family in Oklahoma City. Found is a documentary of these three adopted teenage girls who discovered that they are blood-related through a DNA test, DNA test 23andMe. And after connecting with each other virtually, what happens? After connecting with each other virtually, they decided to travel to China to seek answers to their identity, to their roots. And so they decided on three things. Three things. First, they would visit the sites where the parents had abandoned them. Secondly, they would visit the orphanages that picked them up, where they stayed and met, and they were loved and cared for by the carers of the orphanages. And thirdly, they will try to find their possible biological parents who gave them up all those years ago. If you were one of these girls, what would be your burning, dying question that you want answered? The burning, dying question that you want answered is, why did my parents abandon me? How did they abandon me? And so they zoom in in the documentary of the struggles, how each of them toss and turn. And as they have made, made up their minds cognitively, they're still struggling as they are driving from one place to another in China, looking for their parents. Am I ready to face this? Am I ready to face why and how and who? And this one question can be asked in two ways. Why and how was I abandoned? Was I abandoned freely, flippantly, 
as a first resort when they found out they were pregnant and then delivered me. And if, they, if I was abandoned freely and flippantly and lightly, what would that mean? That would mean that I was unloved, that I was unwanted, and I was given away as soon as possible as a relief because I was a burden to my parents. But on the flip side, the why and how I was abandoned, if I was abandoned painfully, it was abandoned with aching hearts, with trembling hands, as a last resort, not as a first resort, that would mean that I was loved, that I was pried away from the breaking hearts of my parents and the reluctant hands of my parents. Those are important questions to ask. And so we begin our time, and it's all about questions as I preached here two years ago, uh, two weeks ago, two years ago. Questions of God, which are questions for us to answer. And the main question we want to ask, let's see whether we get this, is, sorry, go backwards. Next one. Oh, something's missing. Can you find it? The next one. The questions is God. Oh yeah, it's it's correct. It's correct. Just just hold it there. I've just missed myself on the notes. And the main question in Exodus thirty three to thirty four is: Is God coming with us? Is His presence going to be with us? And if not, is God's abandonment of us? as Israel forever. There is a huge gulf, there's an ocean of difference between these three girls among the 120 to 150,000 who were innocently and helplessly abandoned and Israel's questions and condition. Israel, as God's undeserving beloved children, were completely the opposite they were thoroughly guilty of what? They were thoroughly guilty and intentional in abandoning God. How? By building the golden calf, as we just saw and read with pain in chapter 32. And so the wrong was not in the work of their hands, it's merely the golden calf. The wrongness was in the warpness of their heart, their rebellion, their sin, their disobedience. And so the main question being asked has to be asked with a twist. And the twist is a very important one. Is God coming with us, Israel, after we sin, after we rebel against Him? Is God's abandonment of us, Israel, forever after we sin against Him? Is God's punishment and anger against us permanent? after after we disobey Him. And it's a very important spiritual gospel truth. What is the important spiritual and gospel truth? That life before and after sin is thoroughly, completely different. Life with God, life with others, life itself before and after we sin is completely different. And that will be the repeated lesson from Genesis to Revelation that we find ourselves now in the second book. And so a possible outline of this whole segment 
that should be taken as one. Exodus 32 to 34 is this. It's God's covenant relationship, God's undeserved covenant love for Israel is being put at risk. It's in danger, it's under threat. I want to ask you as I speak, are any of your relationships under threat? Is your relationship with your parents at risk because of some silly quarrel that you have? An unresolved thing that you have as a teenager against your father or your mother? Is your relationship with your sibling at risk? Is your relationship as a couple at risk? And when it is at risk, you always need to ask yourself, who put it at risk? When God's relationship with Israel is at risk, ask the same question, who constantly, always, regularly, instinctively puts it at risk? Never God. Always His people. Never God. Always His people. Remember that. And so a possible outline of this portion is Israel rebels, Israel sins by disobeying God's ten words. And then God is angered and God withdraws and then Moses intercedes in chapter 33. And in chapter 34, God renews His covenant. And what does that mean? It's two voluminous chapters. And so we won't have time to plough through every verse and every portion. I'm going to walk through the first six as foundational and then show you the frame of this. And then as I preach on this, you may want to follow me in your Bible so that you're not lost so that God's Word resonates with our heart. And so as we read in our responsive reading, this is how it begins. God says to Moses to tell the people, God instructs Moses, The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to read before this, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it, I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. And this is where we pick it up. You want to read this again together with me? Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will no go, not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are stiff-necked people. So what is this about? God instructs Moses and the people, you go, you go now from Mount Sinai to Canaan. You have actually begun your journey not from Mount Sinai, you began your journey from Egypt under slavery. That's what I rescued you from Egypt for, and that's why I swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I will send an angel, a representative. I will dispossess the enemies of the land. Why should I dispossess the enemies of the land? So that you can possess the land. I will dispossess the enemies of the land who are idolaters so that you can enter the promised land and worship God. God is transferring you from idolatry to the worship of the true and living God. But here is the stinger. Here is the stinger that you must take note of. I will not go with you. And what does that mean? God will withhold His presence from His people. And why will He not go? It's not merely punishment. It's not merely punitive. 
Notice the phrase here, lest I consume you on the way, for you are stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked people, stubborn in rebellion against God, repetitive in their sin, and constant in their disobedience against God. So God is saying to them, lest I consume you, is an, another act of rebellion, another sin, and another rebellion against me, disobedience against me, and I might destroy you. So Israel had to learn a serious message. What is the serious message? The serious message is this, that because God is holy and she is sinful, the twain shall never meet. His presence should never be with them. He should never be dwelling with them. But because of something in God's character, He draws them into relationship. Israel has to learn the seriousness of God's holiness and the seriousness of her sinfulness. We all are like, like Israel. Do you know the seriousness of God's holiness? Do you know the seriousness of your sinfulness and my sinfulness against this God? And the more you and I belittle sin in thought and word and deed in our lives and carve for ourselves images of golden calves to make our lives free and fulfilled without God, the more we belittle our sin, the more we belittle the true and the living God. Is that what you've done from Monday? Is that what you did on Tuesday? That you sinned and you didn't think twice about it? Is that what you just did on Friday? Is that what you just did when you just came here? That you had another petty quarrel, another lust for something? As you come to worship God, and you don't think twice about it, because you've gotten so used that this is the way I am. It can't get better than this. And God always told His people, I rescued you from idolatry. I rescued you for worship. It means it can get better than this. Don't you ever buy the lie that it doesn't get better as you move from idolatry to the worship of the true and the living God. So have you bought into that lie? That it can't get better than this. It's a lie of the evil one. And there seems to be a deep spiritual insight of this in verse 4 onwards. When the people heard this disastrous word, was the most disastrous word you've heard, this COVID-19 is going to last for the next 10 years, for the life of me. You read reports, it's going to last for the next 5 years, that's enough to kill your spirit. That it's going to last for the next 10 years. The most disastrous word is not that this pandemic will carry on. The most disastrous word is that God has possibly withdrawn His presence from you forever. Which means His anger rests on you permanently. Contemplate that, all we who are sinners. Contemplate that, all we who are sinners. For the Lord has said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I, I will consume you. So, what are they to do? So take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people them, strip themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onwards. What's this whole thing 
about the removal of ornaments. Please take note firstly, if you remember the story up to this point, these are ornaments that God gave His people as they left Israel. It was God who generously bestowed all things on them, including these ornaments or dressing, as they exited from Egypt. That's what exodus means, exited. Whatever God gave them and us, I want to ask you, whatever God gives them and us, what are you and I to use them for? I hope the answer is very clear. Whatever God favours you, blesses you with, is to be used for the worship of Him, the glory of Him, the praise of Him, the service of Him. Whatever God gives you is not to be turned into idolatry of self. Your self-rescue, your self-redemption, they twisted and trashed God's blessing and favour. They turned privilege into pride. They turned gracious gifts into entitlement. And in one English phrase, they blew it. They blew the blessings of God. They blew it away and thought that they could get away with sin and sinning without consequences and sinning without repercussion. God, in asking for the ornaments to be stripped bare from them, is asking them to strip bare their presumption. That you are God's people by some special choice that you are receiving God's blessing because you deserve it. One writer, one commentator likened it, this taking up of the ornaments, as God throwing away the wedding ring. Here's my wedding ring. I'm going to throw it away. Surely I'm not. If I do, don't tell Mona until I go to the jeweler and buy a new one so that she won't notice. It's like God saying, I'm going to throw away this ring and you should never, Israel, ever be identified and not just identified as my people, related and treated as my covenant partners. From now on, you should be related to, identified as my covenant breakers. Unfaithful covenant breakers. So, lesson for Israel, lesson for us. Some things about God's character, what is it? Please take note from Genesis chapter 3 when Eve sins against God and drags Adam along with this, with his passive headship of the family, that God is not in the habit of rewarding rebellion, that God is not in the habit of rewarding sin and disobedience against Him. It is not in God's character to reward ungratefulness to Him and unfaithfulness to Him. Has that percolated in your heart? I just want to leave that for you to take note of. All of us, stiff-necked people beginning with Israel, have a whole history of what? Did you notice? They exited, <laughs> exited, recorded for us Exodus 12 to 14. Exodus 15, they sing a wonderful song of Moses and Miriam in thanksgiving to God. The horse and rider fell into the sea. Oh, our great God, our great God. By the end of chapter 15, did you bring us out here, Moses, only to die of thirst? They were accusing God's servant, and when they accused God's servant, they are accusing God. Did you then, in chapter 16 and 17, did you bring us out here to die, if not of thirst, then of hunger? God, 
satiated their thirst. He gave the twelve springs and the, and the twelve springs and seventy palms around the corner. Did you bring us out here to die of hunger? He gave them manna and quill. Did you bring us out here only to be vanquished by our enemies? We could have died in the hands of Egypt. That would be better. At least we died filled, our bellies filled. Israel's relationship with God was one whole story of accusation after accusation against God and His servant. That they are malevolent. They have ill will, not good will towards Israel. And instead of God rightly testing their hearts, they wrongly, proudly, arrogantly tested God again and again. And the full-blown threat, the full-blown risk to their relationship was the golden calf. You thought the accusations were bad enough. Did you bring us out here only to make us die? So remember, if you listen to this or watch this, I preached this at Adam last week, the recipe for idolatry seems to be was it God's slowness to respond to them? That He kept Moses up there for 40 days and 40 nights? Was it Moses' delay in coming to the people? Or was it the people's impatience? The dark side of the calf, did it show the dark side of God, the dark side of Moses, or the dark side of the people? Is begging the question, and the recipe for idolatry, think about when you take things into your hands. Think about it. When do you take things into your hands? When you somehow think in your sinful brain and heart, so warped by Satan and a whole history of sin, that God is derailing you and delaying you from your fulfillment and your idea of happiness and fullness. So was it God's fidelity? that was at stake when, he didn't come, when Moses didn't come down? Was it Moses' integrity or was it the depravity of God's people? It's very important spiritual lessons for us to learn. Be careful when you spend most of your time and energies examining God's heart, when examining the people whom God sent to bless you instead of examining your heart and excusing your heart so easily, but cross-examining God's heart all the time. It's as if God has to stand in the dock and answer us. Answer me, God. Why is my life in bits and pieces? Answer me, God. And we go scot-free. And poor God and all whom He choose to bless you with, beginning with Moses for Israel, have to stand there taking accusation after accusation after accusation. Which leads us to, remember our title? Our questions of God are actually questions for ourselves. We question God is one thing, He questions us is another. And so the summary after this portion could be this, that God is rightly angered and He understandably withdraws His presence from a sinful, stiff-necked people with a whole history of testing God and putting the relationship at risk. And then the people mourn. And then God strips them of the ornaments. He strips them of covenant blessing and privilege. From this point onwards, please don't presume that you be identified and related to as my covenant partners. 
You'll be identified and related to as covenant breakers. And you need to ask yourself as you read up to this point, what if the story stops here? What if there is a period, a full stop here? But we thank God that it's not a full stop. That is a semicolon. There is a pause. There is a breaking of the covenant. Dot on the top, comma on the bottom, and the story carries on. And you need to ask yourself, hey, what's the new normal after the pandemic? You need to ask yourself, what's the new normal after the rebellion? What's the new normal after my sin? What's the new normal after I disobey God in my life? If it was just God and His people, it might have been a full stop. Period. Covenant fracture, covenant brokenness, that's it. But from this point onwards, who stands, who comes to the fore? It was just God and His people, it may have been a full stop. But because God raised Moses as mediator, and as mediator, He intercedes, and so the possible full stop becomes a semicolon. There is a stop, a pause, but the comma carries on. So I do not know what you like on McDonald's. Oh, did I ask a bad question? You shouldn't like McDonald's, Pastor Chris. I do. I confess. I especially like it when once a year there's the prosperity burger. Right? And I must confess, I take my fair share. You know why? Because I like black pepper. <laughs> and so I've used this before. One way to understand many passages of the Bible is to understand it as a burger, right? There's the top bun, the bottom bun, and the patty in between. Sometimes there's one patty, sometimes two patty. Right now, when you read this portion from 33 verse 7 onwards to the end of 34, it's like what we call God's grace or generosity burger. The bun on the top is the tent where he will meet with Moses one-to-one. And then the bun at the bottom is he will still meet as the tent of meeting. And then it will not just be a meeting of revelation communication, it will be the glory of God that will shine through Moses' face. That God's glory is downloaded in some way and becomes Moses' glory in communion and revelation to the people of God. Smack in the middle are two things that didn't make the covenant fracture a full stop. It's Moses' intercession and God's grace, and I use the word concession for alliteration. If Moses wasn't there to intercede, if God didn't listen to his plea on behalf of Israel, it's a full stop. It's the end. And I want you to take note of this because the whole gospel story is full of this. If you don't understand this, you won't be here. If you don't understand this, you won't be in eternity. It's very important why it doesn't end with them rebelling against God. And so, with the tent, the tent of meeting is different to the tabernacle. The instructions that were just given from chapters 25 to 31. Six chapters, precise details from the curtains, the circumference, the outer boundary, 
to the holy place, to the holy of holies. The tent of meeting is different. The tabernacle, once it's built, is to be smacked in the middle of the twelve tribes, symbolizing God's presence with them. The tent of the meeting is built outside the camp, before the tabernacle is built, in all likelihood. It is after this covenant fracture. And how will God relate to His people after sin? He will relate to His people after sin through Moses and Moses alone. So Moses entered, God descends by a cloud at the entrance of the tent, and Joshua guarded, guarded the tent for what? So that no Israelite in their spontaneity, no Israelite in their curiosity will run up and accidentally enter that tent where they had no access because it was only Yahweh generously meeting with Moses and telling Moses, after sin, this is how it's going to carry on. And then in chapter 33, verse 12 onwards, what do we read? From this point onwards, Moses intercedes. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. What's Moses asking then? It's all about question and answers. His question there is this. A question of God, a question for us, Israel. Moses still does not know what? What is it you do not know? Moses still does not know who will go with him. Is this this angel? Or is God speaking about Joshua going with me? Don't really know. But Moses says, show me your ways. Show me your ways. How would you identify and relate to your sinful people after this? God's answer in chapter 33, verse 12 onwards, the biggest word that should jump out at you is this, is the word no. The word no appears six times in five verses. And if you've been following this series with some care, you know that the word no, actually, what did I just say? You should know the word no. The, the word no is very significant, remember? God appears to Moses, I don't know you. God says, you will know me. God says to Moses, uh, Moses says to God, but I go and bring this to the people. Israel doesn't know you. Israel will know me. And then if I bring this, mo this message to Pharaoh, the most powerful man at that time, he doesn't know you. And God says, he will know me. After the ten plague, he will surely know me. He will let you go. No. The word is a term of intimacy, a term of endearment, a term of covenant love, a term of once you come to know the true and living God, Israel, you'll be so in love with Him, you'll be so besotted with Him, you'll be so enraptured by Him, and once you're so besotted by the true and the living God, Yahweh, you would leave your idols. That's the point. Do you get it? And are there any foodies here, people who like food? All of you should put up your hands. All Singaporeans are foodies, right? All tamcha. So if you're a foodie, and here's an offer, Sunday today, right? Not 11-11, but 14-11. And the offer is, at the same price, you can have fishball kwetiau or chili crab. Which one will you choose? I don't know, there may be some diehard Teochews like me, fishball kwetiau. Huh? Instead of 10 kgs, 
10 kgs of chili crab for one bowl, same price. You'll be so besotted with this chili crab, you'll drop the kwetiau. Any car lovers here? There's an offer today, 1411, 2021. Right? Example. For the same price, Hyundai or Mercedes. You'll be so besotted with the Mercedes, you will choose, you will choose it, you will drop the Hyundai. At the same price on 1411, Tesla is on offer for Mercedes. Which would you choose? I don't know. If you're concerned for the planet, Tesla. Because that's the new thing, it's EVs. For the same price, total commitment, God or idols. If you're besotted with God, you drop your idols. If you know God and you know His presence and you know His purpose, you will drop your idols. You don't know this God. You don't know a good deal when you have one. It's the same commitment you give. You're totally wrapped up with your idolatry and you just will not give up the controlling of your happiness and your fulfillment. You think that giving your life to Yahweh, that giving your life to God is the most risky thing in your, in, that you've done. The most risky thing is to snatch back your life from God and to put it into the life of the number one idolater, yourself and myself, and the gods of imagination that we create. And so, in mathematical formula, Israel was God minus Israel equals to, tell me, God without Israel equals to, I think still God, right? He never needed us. A God who doesn't need us wants us. Can you please take that on board? The God who doesn't need you wants you. He created that need within himself to need you. But let's flip the formula around. Israel minus God equals to? Israel minus God equals to? Dare you say? Zero. Nothing. Minus Israel. Israel's whole identity is wrapped up with God. So, now God says something in chapter 3, verse 14. My presence will go with you, Moses. I will give you rest. It's turned from plural Israel to singular Moses. It's a very important thing. God withdraws communication to the whole of Israel and narrows access to Moses. And now Moses asked for God's presence. He asked for God's glory. He asked for God's, he asked for God's glory. And what does he get? When you finish this portion, when he asks for God's glory in chapter 3, he gets God's goodness. When he asks for God's glory, he gets God's name. And all those things are interchangeable. They're different sides of God. The goodness of God is the name of God. The name of God is the goodness of God. He asks to see the face of God, but he won't see the face of God. Why? He asks to see God's glory. And to see God's glory, he must stand on a rock. And when God's glory passes by, he has to hide in a gap called a cleft. And then he has to be covered figuratively by God's hand. 
and then God removes his hand, then he will see God's back. He cannot see God's front. Moses, like all sinners, cannot see the full manifestation of God. Without atonement, full atonement, he's shielded by God's hand, and all he can see is the afterglow of God's passing glory. He intercedes. He asks for God's glory and God gives him a glimpse of it. And then in chapter 34, we can only summarize. God gives him two new tablets. And God wrote on it and Moses wrote. So you say, so who wrote? Both wrote. God spoke, Moses spoke. God wrote, Moses wrote. Very important that we get this right. And the sevenfold character of God is important. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. The Lord, the Lord. See, this is God revealing God. You couldn't get clearer and better than God revealing God. The Lord, the Lord, a merciful, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to get anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression for sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So question of God, question of us. Question for God, question for us. What is it we need to take note? Very important. The God side of God. I didn't misspell this. You expected this. The good side of God. This is the God side of God. You want to see God in all His glory. God in all His glory is His name. God is all His glory is His character. And here's the sevenfold character that's repeated six times more in the Old Testament than is finally fulfilled in Jesus. What is it you need to know about God? God continues His covenant relationship with them. The Mosaic covenant is broken, but the covenant He made with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob carries on. There's new tablets and renewal of the covenant. God continues His covenant because of four things here. Because of Moses' intercession, because of His covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, because of His sevenfold character, His mercy, His grace, His slow to anger, His overflowing with abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love to thousands of generations. Because ultimately, not because of Israel, but because Israel exists for His glory, though they fail again and again and again. And so, where does that leave us? This whole account ends, you know what? Remember the generosity burger? Begin with the bun on the top, the tent is God and Moses. Ends with God and Moses. And then every time God, Moses goes in, he comes out, the glory of God shone. And what does this mean? Moses radiance his, his glory three times. Verse 29, verse 30, verse 35. That God's presence with Moses had an awesome, glorious effect. When Moses speaks the word of God, he is unveiled, as if God was speaking directly to them. When not speaking, 
Moses is built. And what is the lesson? <clears throat> the lesson is this. God will not withhold His presence from His people forever. God will dwell with His people. And what does that tell you about God? That, that His mercy triumphs over His judgment. Whatever you do not know, God's mercy triumphs over His judgment. And that's why He bothers to carry on with Israel. And you ask this question, how is it finally fulfilled? We know this answer. When Jesus comes, the glory of God is downloaded in full form, in, in fullness, in human form, and human residence, and human address. That's the only reason you sit here, holy and blameless before God, able to sing in about six weeks' time at our Christmas services and New Year's, and New Year's Eve services, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. And what on earth is Emmanuel? God with us. At the greatest cost, He draws persistently sinful people to be considered holy and blameless. And so questions of God, will He go with us? Will He withdraw His presence from us forever? The answer is no. His mercy trumps, compensates, overcompensates for His justice. Sin He must punish. The ornaments He will tell them to take off. The tablets He will break. But He will carry on. And the covenant comes in all its fullness and the gift of Jesus, our Saviour and our Lord. And so remember, remember Chloe and Sandy and Lily, the three Chinese girls adopted by American families? Unknown to these girls, many of the parents who had no choice but to abandon them have been looking for them. So can you imagine this? All the adopted girls, right? They are looking for their parents from all the countries they've settled in. The parents, still mainly stuck in China, are looking for them. And these girls, they're given many leads. Shall I tell you? Never mind, you watch it, I won't tell you. <laughs> but for them, their closure is not that they found their parents. Their closure was they found the reality that a significant proportion, the majority of parents who abandoned them, were out there looking to find their daughters. So the documentary was zoom in on the parents, mainly the mothers, fathers too. Years later, still not forgetting the moment I left my, my newly born, just there in the cold of Beijing or Shanghai or Guangdong and left them there and just hope against hope that somebody will pick up that child. Can you imagine doing that? Can you imagine doing that? Never forgetting and never forgiving themselves. And for the three girls looking for them, I, I gave it away. La. They didn't find them. But even to know that their search continues, to know that parents were looking for them, was partial closure. You know, for us in the Gospel, it's not us looking for God. It's Him looking for us. There is closure. He loves you. 
He never wants to abandon you. He never wants to share you with yourself. He never wants to share you with your idols. He wants you. He wants you through Jesus. Amen? He wants His glory to rest on you. And so, please believe this. Have you reflected on God's mercy, His grace, His slowness to anger? Have you reflected on His abounding steadfast love, His abounding faithfulness, His forgiving of you, and yet His just punishment of your sins? Have you reflected that God continues because of an intercessor, the mediator, Jesus, because of His covenant love, because of His sevenfold character? Pharrell, I think, has won numerous Grammy Awards, 18, I understand. And Pharrell, who won these awards, together with his uncle, a pastor in America, they went out on this project to find the best choir in the world, to form the best choir in the world. And the best choir in the world will be formed by the best voices that they could possibly find and with the best testimonies of life changed by God. And so audition after audition after audition, 3,000, they boil it down to 60, I think. And then one who made it finally to the choir was a Marcus. And Marcus in his teenage days was a lost youth and one night and in his lostness, in his parting, he was drunk, he fell and hit his, hit his neck on the bathtub, the edge of the bathtub, broke. And then he went into a coma, he was paralyzed. Against all odds, he was healed. Against all odds, he walked again. But one side of him was badly, badly damaged, with one arm shrunken, the other arm muscular. Right? He loved to sing. He loved to sing. And he asked God for one more chance, not to mess up God's favour and blessing upon his life. And this was his chance. Voices of fire. Pharrell's voices of fire. He made it to the choir. He never expected that he would make it to be a soloist on their debut concert. And what was his testimony? His testimony was, I don't know why God bothers with me. Because I surely didn't bother with him. And that's the gospel. And his life, like all the rest, has God's presence and God's purpose resting on them. Week after week, through this pandemic, we preach the gospel for your spiritual health. We preach this gospel for your mental health. We, we preach this gospel for your relational health with God. Please understand, you need to ask these questions. When was the last time you reflected? And why should God, God's glory, rest on you? It's because He loves you. Do you know that? Receive the glory, the glory of God, the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Let's stand to pray. Please pause and reflect with seriousness of heart. Let us be serious about God's holiness. 
Let us, by the conviction of the Holy Spirit and enlightenment of God's Word, be serious about our sin. Because like Israel, we must learn, the more we belittle sin, the more we belittle God and our need for a Saviour. We admit and confess, Heavenly Father, that we are stubborn, we are stiff-necked, that we keep repeating this rebellion, that we can never choose rightly, that we will prefer our idolatry to the worship of you, that we reject your presence for us, that we reject your purpose for us, that we reject your glory resting upon us, that Israel rejected this and thought that she could be glorious on her own, that she should realize she had no identity and no glory without the presence of God. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you accepted the intercession of a mediator, Moses. And thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have accepted the intercession of a greater and permanent mediator, Jesus, our great high priest. And in him and through him, your glory has come to rest on us. May we ponder who you are and thank you and live lives of gratitude now and forevermore. Amen.